This is episode 28 of the No Limits Podcast. Welcome back. The podcast is brought to you by Tangle Free Waterfowl. You work hard all year anticipating the small window of time you get to spend in the blind. How disappointing is it to get to that moment only to find out that your gear has failed? Do not tolerate gear failure. Tangle Free delivers gear that functions exactly as it's designed to every time, year after year after year. I always say don't waste your hard-earned time and money on gear that only lasts a year or two. Head over to TangleFree.com. If you need panel blinds, layout blinds, decoys, accessories, and because you are a valued No Limits subscriber, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. Just enter promo code PASSION at checkout. And think about how much you can save when you order things like panel blinds and decoys. They're big, they're bulky, they're expensive to ship. Tanglefree.com, promo code PASSION at checkout for free shipping. Is your coffee hunter friendly? Do you really know where your coffee comes from? Who are you really paying to get it here? And what are the political ideologies and agendas of the buyers and middlemen? What if I told you there's a coffee producer that buys directly from the farmer, cuts out the anti-Second Amendment and anti-hunting middlemen, and supports the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance and has great-tasting, full-body, delicious coffee. Hunter's Blend is that company. We had Paul and Mike on the podcast to explain their revolutionary approach to their direct trade model and the impact it has made in the poor farming communities. I would suggest to go back and listen to episode 16 uh, because this new purchasing model has put money back into farming communities, helped open churches, made health care available, and has absolutely changed lives, not to mention help fight terrible anti-hunting and anti-Second Amendment legislation where we need it most, in the courtroom. Head over to huntersblendcoffee.com, use the promo code NOLIMITS, all one word, at checkout, and get 10% off of your order. You're going to buy coffee anyway. Why not have it delivered from a company that has your hunting Second Amendment rights in mind and supports your right to hunt and save 10% in the process? Great coffee, great mission, Hunters Blend Coffee. The podcast is also also brought to you by Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. The Revelation Outdoors mission is to help spread the gospel of Christ through waterfowl hunting. We leverage different mediums or delivery methods to do that, either through our social media pages and our Passion of Pursuit short film series that's produced by Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry and Motion Culture Media. Our favorite way, though, to share the way that we experience Jesus in waterfowling is through live presentations, either at men's events, wild game dinners, or other places where sportsmen and women gather. We have been invited to speak at events all over the country, and we absolutely love with connecting with our fellow sportsmen and sportswomen, women, 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 and talk about how God has changed our lives, not through religion, but through a personal relationship with Christ. We're not religious guys, and we stress that. We're guys just like the rest of you, and we have found that when we are able to break through a lot of the religious fog that surrounds us, we're able to show the simplicity found in God's plan of salvation. If you have an event coming up and you need a speaker, we'd love to talk to you. You can connect with us on social media or on our website, revelationoutdoors.com. Let's go. My guest today is Vice President of Sales for Sitka Gear, Ryan Bassam. You guys know him. You guys love him. I am very excited to finally have Ryan on the podcast. Not only are we a huge supporter of the gear and content that Sitka produces, I'm also a big fan of Ryan uh, personally. 
we talk about how he really developed his passion for hunting growing up in Texas and how he decided to pursue a career in the outdoor industry. Ryan has hunted waterfowl on five, get this, five continents in 15 different countries. I didn't know there were waterfowl on five different continents, but apparently they are because Ryan's hunted them there. Uh, we talk about some of the more memorable, memorable locations he's visited and the people that he has met including a pretty sketchy encounter he had in Turkey near the Syrian border. Um, I asked Ryan about some of the misconceptions that exist about hunting in other countries because last year was our first experience leaving the country, crossing the border, and hunting in Canada. And I know I personally was very anxious about that whole process. And I, I found most of the things that I was worrying about were no factors which led us to a discussion about Trophy Expeditions. Trophy Expeditions is a company Ryan also runs with his family. Uh, we talked about the biggest value that hunters who want to travel and make expeditions to other countries will experience when booking through Trophy Expeditions is to eliminate that fear of the unknown so you can enjoy the experience you've anticipated for so long. I found myself worrying about so many things uh, that we would either forget, paperwork that we would forget. Uh, what if we brought too much ammo? What if, uh, just what if, what if, what if? Trophy Expeditions takes care of all of that for you, and you compound that by flying. There's a lot of airlines that don't allow firearms. Um, there's just so many things to think about, and Ryan touched on it. It's the fear of the unknown that really causes the anxiety. So we talk about that. We, of course, talk about Sitka gear, the unique differentiators and the value Sitka brings by offering the finest and most effective clothing system to waterfowlers. We talk about some of the new waterfowl products that are ready for sale and a whole new ladies and youth line that are available. Ryan explains how to look. This is the thing that I think most guys miss. And it's, it's simple. And I think that most guys think they're doing it right. But Ryan explains how to properly layer and use the gear the way it's designed to be used to do the thing that Sitka gear does better than any other brand, and that's manage moisture to maximize the comfort of the user. Ryan talks about the right components to use based on your personal body style and hunting locations and conditions to maximize moisture control and make you more comfortable so you can stay out longer. So that was super interesting to me, and I think you guys will find it interesting as well. And on a personal note, one of the things that I love and admire about Ryan so much is his testimony and his faith. And we talk about both of those as well. So without any further ado, please welcome to the podcast Sitka's VP of Marketing and my friend, Mr. Ryan Bassam. Ryan, what's happening, brother? Man, just uh, keeping the dream alive. 
doing my best to keep my head above water. <laughs> How are you doing? Good, man. What's happening Good. on the homestead in Bozeman, Montana? Dude, we're uh, we're actually finally in, enjoying some somewhat normal weather. Uh, I think it's gotten up into the 90s once, and mm. but it's been crazy getting a ton of rain and um you know just just enjoying what montana summers are since we have such a long winter up here but yeah. no no complaints what about your neck of the woods uh you know had that little quote-unquote hurricane that came through you right know, a couple of days ago and it right was, fake it news was, right yeah dude it, it was everybody <laughs> was like oh first hurricane of the year evacuate and right like, oh my gosh uh, we needed rain but the, the problem is the mississippi river is so full yeah, no, I'm not going to complain. Handle any more Gulf of Mexico? Yeah, no, it's backing up. Into it sounds it, so. like that's. Yeah, it's crazy. I think it's going to get interesting. There's a there's a lot of variables in this year's hunting season that is going to make things. Oh man, for sure. Like you look at people that can't get crops in the ground, and mm-hmm. then I had uh I had John Devney on from Delta from Delta Waterfowl a few episodes ago, and he was like, "Yeah, prairie pothole region in Canada is bone dry, but South Dakota is soaking wet." Crazy. And he feels that that's kind of where a lot of the nesting is going to be. So, yeah, no, yeah. that sounds but accurate. It's funny, man. Like when I flew out of New Orleans, um, I, you know, you take out, you go out over the river, and when you look at how full the river is, and then thirty feet below river level, it's just like people just doing their thing, living. Right. <laughs> You're yeah. like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> this totally. is bad. So yeah, hey, we're going to get into. Uh, I want to talk a lot about trophy expeditions and of course sure. Sitka gear and, and it, definitely but, um I want to really because you grew up in Texas right that's correct uh, I grew up in the Plano area um you know the waterfowl of mecca of Plano right yeah the waterfowl mecca of Plano but all my family is actually from a little bit further east out of Dallas and so spent mm-hmm. as much time out on the family farm there north of Sulphur Springs on the Sulphur River as much as I could and, and that's kind of where I found my my love for duck hunting yeah um, what was it? So did you, uh, did your, it's funny cause I have a lot of guys on the podcast and I say like, did your, did you come from a hunting family? And most of them go, no, no. So. You know, it's, it's interesting. I actually find the same thing in conversations I, I have with different folks, um, across the world really. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, my dad and my uncles introduced me into deer hunting. Um, you know, I shot my first deer when I was I think seven or eight. Um, but none of them waterfowl hunted and, and to this day, none of them really do. So, um, that was kind of an adventure on my own. I, when I was 13 or so, um, I didn't realize that we had kind of a Mecca waterfowl place there on the back end of our property. And I just thought that's what waterfowl hunting was. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to go try my hand at, um, getting out here and, and seeing if I can't put a strap of ducks together. And, um, uh, man, I, I got hooked fast. And so it's been off to the races ever since I was about 13, just, trying to figure it out on my own and you learn a lot that way what to do what not to do mainly what yeah, not I was gonna to say do you learn a lot more so, of what not to do exactly but uh but it's been it's been awesome you know i think i think you, it means more when you when you go through that type of process now i know that your daughter deer hunts because she smacked a giant last <laughs> Golly, year Golly, what a what a stinker yeah what, she did. <laughs> um, have you tried to introduce them into waterfowl yet or are they yes. still too young yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah. So I started taking the girls out with me when they turned four. Um, I started taking them with me, and so they've actually the first hunts they ever went on um, were were waterfowl hunts, and then they've been on several turkey hunts. Um, you know, they've Zoe's sat in the deer blind with me more, and then last year had her opportunity to take her first deer, 
which was pretty special. Um, and then Cora is getting pretty excited for this season and maybe mm. trying, trying it out. So, but they've, yeah, I mean, they joined Marissa and I, um, and have for gosh, three or four years now, yeah. Zoe for five years. It's yeah. been a lot of fun to be able to share that kind of family time in the blind together. Yeah, no doubt. What, um, the other thing I wanted to ask is I'm always fascinated by guys that are in the outdoor industry. Like what spark or what, was there one event you're like, this is what I want to do for a living. Cause you know, I'm having that conversation with my daughters sure. now cause they're getting to the age where they're like, Oh, what I want to do for a living. So I'm like, okay, first thing you need to do is figure out what standard of living you want to have. And that's going <laughs> to, that's going to narrow your scope no down joke. a pretty good bit. Like you're going to be able to adjust your aperture from there pretty, pretty quickly. Totally. Um, I, you know, uh, for, for me and, and everybody's different. Right. But, but I agree. Like, you know, I had aspirations of, Oh man, you know, like I would really like to, to make decent money. Um, cause I thought that's what would, you know, ultimately make me happier and, and have an easier life. But, um, I kept, even as a kid, like I kept going back. Well, I, I really love hunting. Like I, I just always have, we would go to Texas trophy hunter extravaganza or Dallas safari club. And I was the annoying kid walking booth to booth collecting, um, all the pamphlets and everything. And these guys are probably just like, man, this kid's not here you go, kid, you know, take your candy, go on. But, um, you know, like yeah, these I, guys I, are calling you now for jackets and stuff. Oh yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I guess so. They are. Um, because now, I mean, like that's, that's part of how I educated myself on what hunts there are out there around the world. And that was my dream as a kid. Like, how do I, how do I do that for a living? You know, how, how do I, I, I how can I get a job that allows me to have the disposable income to go and do it or, or how do I just have a career where, where that's what my job is? And so mm. it, I'm not going to say that I set out to do that, but my passion for it ran so deep and the different opportunities that presented themselves throughout my life just were such that I've found myself in an incredibly fortunate situation, um, to, to be able to, to have a career in this industry. And it's, and it's been amazing. It's, it's a ton of fun. Hard work, positive mental attitude get up and get that's after it. it every day. That's it. I mean, you know, I, I had, uh, several mentors in my life that always told me, you know, you can't dream big enough, always go for it. I mean, even if you fail, at least, at least you tried and, and you can be satisfied with that, that you, that you went for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've, I've watched my dad, you know, hard work is, is what, what gets you there. And so yeah. that with a lot of luck, you know, it, that equation, you know, it, it, it's, it's worked out for me anyways. And, mm. um, we've been blessed. So it's been great. Yeah. I've raised mine. There are no excuses, right? No. So th things are going to happen and it's your job to own it. And it's That's your right. job to figure out, all right, we didn't get the, we didn't get the results that we wanted on this one. Would number one, it's, it's, it, it is my responsibility. I own it. And what am I going to identify that went wrong to where we don't do that again? And we right. get better results the next time because if not, right. everything else is just an excuse. That's right. That's right. And it doesn't get you anywhere. It so. gets you nowhere. So you talked about it's one of the things I wanted to ask you because anybody that's looked at your Instagram page <laughs> on I get ducks, you've hunted some pretty, pretty incredible places. Yeah. Um, what were and so not only ducks though, like I mean zebra and Everything. <laughs> you know, that's like, you can go to the zoo. Yeah, no, um, I like to, I like to hunt everything. Yeah, but talk about like what, what were some of your favorite, most memorable 
waterfalling experiences? Yeah. Um, so gosh, in the last 10 years, um, I've kind of been chasing my buddy around Ramsey Russell and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's, he was, uh, kind enough to, to be a mentor to me and allow me to, to help him with that business, um, while I was in college and when I got right out of college. And so, um, I've hunted on five continents and, uh, for waterfowl specifically. And I think I'm at around 15 different countries chasing birds around. And, mm. um, it's, it's when, when you, you have a different outlook on the world of waterfowl hunting and, you know, I get asked, well, what's your favorite species and what's your favorite place to go? And, and, and it becomes less and less about, um, well, that's my favorite place to, to, to go and shoot a duck. And mm -hmm. what I've learned is it's, man, the, the adventure of the adventure of getting there and the people you meet and, and experiencing their culture starts to greatly outweigh checking species off a list right. um, or heavy straps of birds. I mean, those things are nice. Don't get me wrong. I still enjoy that. Um, but looking back and, and just being able to say, wow, like the, this is what I experienced in going after that. And, and the, those cultural experiences, um, and meeting those friends and having, you know, global friendships has been more important. But, uh, with that said, uh, I mean, if I had to throw out some of the ones that stick out in my mind the most, um, I mean, King Eiders in St. Paul in the middle of the Bering Sea, and we had a unique experience. I mean, it can be kind of an intense hunt and we got our money's worth out of it a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> that was a pretty, pretty special hunt. It's, it's not a high volume hunt. Um, I wouldn't say that it's, I've had more technical shooting, but, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're in the Bering sea. It's, it's yeah. kind of crazy. It's, yeah. it's awesome. It's got the wow factor. And then that, that Island, um, is so rich in, in, in history and, and, mm -hmm. um, how it's come to be in its current state. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, another one is, uh, Australia that, that was another one we actually did recently. That was last year. Um, you know, Ramsey and I didn't really quite know what to expect out of that adventure. And, um, I would say it's a, it's a good volume hunt, um, but of hunting out of all the places in the world, what you start to learn is that they're 10, 20, 30, 40 years behind how we do it as far as our tactics and, and I would say our efficiency in, in being able hmm. to successfully uh, kill birds. Um, they don't have the decoys. They don't have the resources. They don't have the decoys. They don't have the calls sometimes. They're, they're kind of making it up as they go. It ends up being a lot of pass shooting or, or these weird funky tactics Really? Um, that, that make it different. So it was, it was cool to go to Australia and, and those guys that we hunt with in Australia do it the most similar that we do than, than anywhere else I've hunted. Hmm. Um, and so that was really cool. I, I, I really, they, they, they so were you in just, a unique situation. You just look at their gear and you're like, yeah, I mean, we kind of did it that way when we didn't have anything when I was a kid. Oh yeah. I mean, up, like right? they're making their own decoys. They don't have decoy manufacturers or call manufacturers and and the majority of the world and, and the cost of getting those types of products there is so astronomical in these second and third world countries. Like it's not even yeah. an option. So no ground. Uh, no, <laughs> it's not an option. <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, those are some cool ones. Uh, Ramsey and I were actually in Africa last month, um, doing a film and, um, kind of exploring some more of what, what it, uh, the waterfowl world offers there in South Africa. That was pretty cool. Um, definitely different tactics, more European style. Um, but it, what's fascinating is of all these different places, Ramsey and I talked about this a lot, is uh, 
every country, either they have mallards or they have ducks that are very similar to mallards. And we, we've started calling them, well, what's the mallard of this country? Cause it's either going to be like a Pacific black duck in, mm-hmm. in uh, Australia or the yellow billed duck over there in Africa. I mean, they, their behavior and, and the way they still respond to a mallard call manufactured here in the U S doesn't change a whole lot, which is pretty, pretty cool. That's um, crazy, man. And interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been, can, it's been cool to experience all that. Yeah. That, that's, um, <laughs> that's the kind of crazy thing is you can be thousands of miles away from home and you know what? The good old feed chat are still going to bring. Oh, I'm telling yeah. you, man, without fail, everyone's like, well, what did you have to buy a new call? Now, nah, man, I just, I just yeah. take what's on my lanyard that I use back home and it yeah. never steers me wrong. <laughs> and I think a lot of people look at those types of adventures and go, man, that's so far out of the realm of what I can do, but it's really not. I mean, there's some sure. easily it's not, no, attainable. I mean, absolutely. I, I used to look at it that way. I was the guy that said, I'll never be able to go and do um, you know, that hunt. I'll never go to New Zealand. I'll never go to Australia. I'll never be able to go to Africa and hunt big game. Or I, I said all that and man, I've, I've done it all and more. It's all attainable. We'll clear up some of those misconceptions. I mean, some of these got like, we went to the film we're editing right now. So we were talking about last time we talked is our Canada mm-hmm. trip. Um, and, and the thing that was, it was just like, some of the hunts we had, but it was completely different. I mean, I know that sounds stupid, but you know, it's like you're, you're in the same kind of layout blind in the same kind of, right. you know, fields laying out. But man, when you're driving around Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. dude, if you need to knock on someone's door, you're yeah. a long way away. Right. Yeah. From anybody. For sure. Uh, but what struck me is that it's not, it wasn't as difficult as we made it out to be when we were playing like, Oh my God, yeah, we got to cross right. a border. Oh no, a border! Oh, we have to get on a plane with a gun, or right. Clear up some of the misconceptions about, you know, what are some of the opportunities, and really just how feasible it is, and and because I think that's the that's the the four things that I think a lot of people right worry about is there's not as many opportunities, and that's wrong. There are a ton, or it's just not feasible. It's too expensive. Um, but with trophy expeditions, I mean, you, you've got your hands on all that. So yeah, I mean. It's, I think that a lot of it is fear of the unknown. I mean, in, in, in every, mm. you know, meaningful experience I've had in my life, um, where I was like, man, I, I, where I had doubt, um, it was because of fear of the unknown. And so mm. when, when you start to break it down and, and just accept the fear and be like, okay, I'm, I'm scared. I, I know this is may not work, but realize too, people do this every day. They do it every day. Like we yeah. literally, there's people coming in and out of the country every day that are going on hunts. And so mm-hmm. um, I think the the logistical side, because there's a few components here. I mean, some guys are listening to this going, well, man, I don't have the disposable income and I'll get to that. Um, the logistical side is not a problem. I mean, and I come out of a family that's managed a travel agency for over 40 years. And, you know, the, the intricacies with the laws in different countries and getting in and out of each country with a firearm, as well as bringing birds back, um, that's why uh, businesses such as ours exist. That's why guys like Ramsey and his mm-hmm. business exist is because we've done that legwork and our job and our expertise is to remove all the guesswork and the uncertainties so that we can, we can take that fear component out of getting on a plane with a gun, 
leaving the country, hunting, and then coming back without any issues. Mm-hmm. Um, that's honestly the least of my concerns. Um, where it gets trickier, and if you want to ask me more questions about that, I'm happy to answer any, yeah. any specifics. But um, the one that's more challenging for most people is is honestly just the disposable income. You know, we're all under um, you know different financial um, obligations to our families and and what we can and can't do. But I've, I've seen a lot of people that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's opportunities out there that are closer than most people think to go and have the hunt of a lifetime. Uh, Canada and Mexico are, are two of those. I, I throw Alaska in there, even though it's part of the U S but it's still, it's still out way outside the norm of what you can experience in the lower 48. So mm-hmm. those three right there are all pretty special. I mean, depending on if somebody's looking for species differentiation, on a hunt or volume or combination of both, um, you can, I mean, pretty much round trip, figure that out on a three to five day hunt for under $5,000 and mm-hmm. you know, get, that's a lot of money, but we're not talking about, you know, spending $50,000 to go hunt elephant in Africa. $5,000 mm-hmm. is doable if you can save your money appropriately. Um, and a lot of people hear, well, $5,000, man, I don't have $5,000 right now. You don't need $5,000 right now. Most outfitters or booking agencies like myself, man, we we take a deposit. And so sometimes that's 20% to 50%, depending on the outfitter we re- represent. And then, so you're paying on an increment there. And then you're buying your plane tickets probably six to eight months out from the actual hunt date. So that, mm-hmm. ha- that happens there. And then two to three months prior to the actual start of the hunt, you're paying the remaining part of your deposit. And then you know, you're going to leave a tip. And then if you decide you shoot something that you want to take the taxidermist, mm-hmm. well, you're not paying that for another year later. So it's all, that's all getting spread mm-hmm. across eventually, depending on how early you book a two to three year time span. It's pretty doable. Right. Um, and so when you look at it that way and, and have, you know, an agency like ours help manage all of those different moving pieces, it's a lot easier to, to say, okay, yeah, this makes sense. I can do this. And most of our clients come to us with that mindset. So right. um, it's it's all attainable. Now, outfitters, I mean, you 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 can you vouch for the guys that you're setting people up. Correct. Because I, I think Correct. that's another thing that if I were to try and plan something to Alaska, like I just don't want to sign up with any jack leg that's got a website in, in Alaska. Right. I, right. I want to know this is my one shot to do something unique. I want to make sure I'm going with the right dudes. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, and that's, I mean, that's a lot of the issues that my dad and I ran into is, uh, you know, we would book a hunt, um, wanting to go do something outside the norm or what we can do on our own, uh, in our backyard. And, and we'd be like, okay, well, this guy sounds legit. And these people said he was legit. Gosh, I hope he is. And, and, um, and so we would go and, you know, sometimes it'd be everything that we were told. And a lot of times it would be awful. <laughs> so, yeah. um, what I started learning from those experiences that, uh, you know, when I was in college and, and then also seeing how Ramsey ran his business was, you know, if we can establish ourselves as the trusted resource to be able to help individuals that know that we've been there and we vouch for them. Cause I've told a lot of guys, Hey, um, I've been to that outfitter. I don't represent them. You're asking me about them. I, yes, I would book a hunt there, uh, but you need to book directly with them and not with us just because, you know, we, we don't have a partnership. Um, and if that doesn't right. work out for you, I do have another guy that runs a similar hunt. And there's been some other times where I flat out said, look, I've hunted there. Um, and, and unless they've had a major change in how they run their business, I, I don't, I don't recommend it. Um, and, and that's yeah. built a lot of trust. So now we have clients that just come don't and say, Hey, it. look, this is, 
this this is the country I want to go to, or this is the species I'm after, or here's my here's my budget. You know, what can I do? Yeah. Um, and we help navigate it from there with places that we've been to. We've had boots on the ground. We've had that experience. The travel agency side of what we do. I mean, I'll put it to you this way: my my mom is is everyone's kind of guardian angel in this thing because if something goes <laughs> wrong. And you're in, you know, middle of nowhere, some foreign country where you don't know the language, you can call her and she's going to save you um, and get you out of there um, through, the, through, there. The, through the commercial side of the, of the airline. Because, you know, she's um, I mean, she's used to back in the day, they were booking, you know, whole high school bands to tour across Europe and, you know, the logistical nightmare of that. So getting one hunter to some country with a firearm is not a big deal. If I can it's, get a two with a 10 buck two, I think I can get a guy yeah, with a shotgun. To- ex- ex- exactly. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of our, our comfort area. Not all outfitters or booking agencies have that, that resource. And, and the travel yeah. agency side is pretty important because a lot of times people, when they're, if you have to have a layover, which most of the time, if you're going a long ways, you do, you want to make sure you have enough time to get your firearm checked through that country um, or or that you have enough time to connect to the next international flight. And a lot of issues that we do have, because some people opt out and use the travel agency portion of our business. They do they want to book it on their own. And if you have mm-hmm. miles and, and all that, sure, book it on your own. Um, but, you know, they, they end up missing a flight or they get stuck or they book an air, airline that doesn't accept firearms and and now they're in a mess mm-hmm. and they yeah. end up having to use our services anyway. And so um, that's kind of the level of, of detail and security that we, we can provide. It's, it's the, Hey, we've been there, we've done it. Um, we're going to uh, be able to, to handle all the different pieces of this, of this trip for you and the organization of yeah. it. And you're just not going to be any guesswork at the end of the day. Yeah. That's the unknown you were talking about. That's right. That's so. right. Any places that you went were like super sketchy. I mean, like uh, <laughs> I don't know if these yeah. guys know that we're friendly <laughs> or if they think we're invading their country or not. Yeah, no. So um, this was not a waterfowl hunt, and I guess really my more dangerous hunts have been non-waterfowl. So I was in uh, Turkey this past December hunting bezoar ibex, and mm-hmm. so f- flew into Istanbul and then um, hunted a couple different areas. But at one point, we we're about an hour away from the border of Syria. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a hot zone. Uh, we weren't super close to anything that really would have been dangerous or scary, but there was definitely some moments when you're, you know, in a country that's 90% Muslim and everyone's speaking a language that you cannot speak. And most of them don't speak English where there's, there's just moments where you're like, okay, am I, am I good or am, am I not yeah. good here? Like I don't, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure I know what's going on. Right. Um, and so, there's moments like that. Um, you know, and you're I've, a Christian, I'm a Christian. So that, that's we're right. in the minority. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, and they're incredibly friendly there. I mean, in fact, the, the country of Turkey is, um, you know, they're, they are more heavily influenced by Western culture. Um, once you start going East from there, it gets, gets, uh, a little bit different. <laughs> we'll say, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but it was an amazing experience at the same time. You know, I've, I've been robbed and you know, I was a missionary in Ecuador uh, for a couple of years. I mean, I've been robbed in foreign countries and, you know, scuffles and, and, and things just happen. I mean, same things that can happen in Memphis or Dallas or New York or Chicago or anywhere else here. And, um, of all the clients we've sent in different places, we've had zero that have had any kind of, of issue, um, 
that where they felt truly threatened. So, you know, the world's a big place and, and you can find trouble if you want to find it and you can mm. very easily avoid it too. What was the Syrian thing? So we, at one point we were, we were, we were leaving this mountain range and coming back down the mountain and in the middle of nowhere. And, and so you're in the middle of nowhere. You're not expecting to see a lot of people. And, um, all of a sudden we come around the corner and, um, there's a bunch of guys with like AK 47s dumping out of this truck and they're stopping us. And I'm like, Oh crap, what is this? And then, <laughs> and when I was living in South America, this kind of stuff would happen. And maybe it was a checkpoint. Maybe they're looking for somebody. Um, and in that moment, I'm hoping that's not me. And they're like, Oh, you know, there, there's an American, maybe we want to take him hostage. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. that those, those kinds of thoughts flash through your, through your brain. It's like, man, is, Am I getting into this situation or what's going on? And I mean, you knew it wasn't the game warden. Put it that, wasn't put the it game way. warden. Yeah, we'll put it. And if it was the game warden, man, they're super serious over there about yeah. uh, protecting their wildlife. But Check. but yeah, no, it, and it ended up, you know, not being anything. It was it was friendlies um, that were just kind of patrolling the area. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's moments like that where it's like, man, is this how's this going to go? Um. And yep. you kind of start, you know, thinking through, man, was, was this a good idea or a bad idea? But, um, like I yeah. said, you know, of all the places I've been and all the places that we, our clients have been, um, and friends, like no one's no had factors. an issue. No, never. Yeah. Mm -mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Switch gears a bit. Um, sure. we have been, you know, passion or pursuit has been a Sitka shop now from, you know, we've been <laughs> Sitka for the last three years or so. Right. And, um, one of the, one of the things that I really like about it is it is scenario and location based. And what I mean by that is, mm -hmm. you know, before, if I didn't know what the weather was going to be and right. we were hunting, hunting timber like i'd have to bring stuff that i can wear if it was cool i'd have to wear things i'd have to bring things i'd have to wear if it was the weather was going to change and get real nasty or if it was going to warm up mm -hmm. some it makes it since we're talking about traveling it makes it so much easier for us to plan and pack um space is a premium right so right um, right it makes it so much easier for us to plan and pack and get to where we're going um and the other thing for us that's big is you're going to, you're going to pay a little bit more, um, mm -hmm. not a whole lot more now that, you know, costs are doing what they're doing, but, <laughs> sure. um, I, I know that I'm paying for something that's an investment. I'm not going to have to replace gear year after year after year. Um, and I look at it as, am I looking at a short game or a long game? And I'm definitely looking at a long game. Right. Of um, what so as you travel around and do different mm -hmm. shows and things of that sort, what are some of the what are some of the differentiators you find having to talk to guys about um, with sick? Oh, and the other thing that I think mm -hmm. is just head and shoulders above is customer service and the way voice of customer really resonates mm -hmm. with Sitka. Well, you listen to the people that wear your stuff. Definitely. 100%. And, uh, and that's, and that's critical. Um, we can't get better if we don't take the time to, uh, take those insights and, and take them seriously and implement those into, 
our, our product strategy and, and continuing to improve um, that product for for the end user. And so, um, you know, it's been interesting. So I'm, I'm in the marketing side of things. Uh, I'm over waterfowl and whitetail for Sika Gear. Now, and, you, when you were in school, did you major in marketing? I forgot to ask you that. You know, I, I went to Texas A&M and got a, a degree in ag business. Um, and, marketing, uh, ag business, yes. Makes sense. So I, I had some marketing classes, but, yeah. uh, you know, on-the-job experience <laughs> is pretty crucial. And my first yeah. job um, out of college at Texas A&M uh, was a kind of a dual role sales and marketing position for for a startup and um, mm-hmm. was able to see some good growth there and learn a, a lot of what not to do and some of what mm-hmm. to do. And, and um, that, that really was more valuable than, than uh, anything I could have learned in a classroom. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, um, spinning a background to Sitka. I, uh, you know, one of the big things, especially, you know, as a marketer is we're constantly talking about, you know, uh, communication and uh, how we can best connect uh, through meaningful engagement with with our audience to make sure that they they view us as a, as a trusted resource and hear me say those words trusted resource a lot because it's important mm-hmm. um, but to be able to to provide um, the best gear possible um, at the right time and and make sure that everyone's confident in in, in what that gear can do for them and so uh, in answering questions when I'm at shows or answering emails or on, you know, podcasts like this with you, uh, you know, what really differentiates us from everybody else, I think is we're taking a lot more time, um, in the development of our product than, than most brands that I've been a part of. And, um, that's, that's pretty crucial. It, we're, we're taking a lot of these insights and feedback, um, from the marketplace and implementing those in, in all the, all, often we'll be developing a product and if we think it's not going to do what we say it's going to do, we'll cut it. It'll never see the light of day. And you would have no idea that we were working on it for the last two years. Um, and so when we launch a product, it's because we believe in it. Um, the fabric ingredients that we have access to um, being owned by Gore uh, is, is pretty critical. Um, they're the best fabric ingredients uh, that you could really have in, in the entire world. And so 100%. being able to, to use those to our advantage and, and having great minds on our product team and, and what guys like Jim Sabir and Eric Gilmore do for the waterfowl category, um, making sure that it's not just the right fabrics, but it's intuitive design so that the features complement the needs of a waterfowl hunting hunter, depending on if they're pursuing geese or ducks and, and then what elements they're going to be in within those pursuits. And so that's the differentiating factor. It's, it's attention to detail. It's, it's refusing to use anything but the best um, and taking our time and being patient and, and developing exactly what the consumer wants based on the feedback we get within those market insights. One of the things that I really, really like, and I think it benefits all hunters, is the way Sitka innovates. Mm-hmm. I think it forces other companies to innovate. Sure. And the hunting industry or the, you know, the, the hunters, the end consumers are the benefactors of that innovation. And I think the one thing that I like is that Sitka is not afraid to fail. As you just said, look, we're going to try right. something. It may work. It may bomb, but we're not going to be afraid to fail. And 
I, I think that's that that forces other companies to compete and innovate and get better. And I think that the hunter is the in the end the benefactor of that. Absolutely, I I say the same thing. You know, we we all push each other and and uh, we're competitive from brand to brand, and mm-hmm. that's only going to benefit you know sure. you the customer. So sure, sure. What's what's coming out new in the waterfowl world this year? Yeah, so um, last week we had all of the new waterfowl products uh, available. Um, you know, still going to be a big push around waders. This is what I consider a sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of excitement still there. A lot of our communication is going to be how to layer with waders and the right products that we have in the line. Yeah. As far as new products, um, being being the husband of a awesome wife who loves to hunt and two little girls, I'm pretty excited that we just launched a 12 piece women's line. Oh, and that's so, so good, man. Absolutely. Um, I think more information is going to continue to come out um, with that. And it's, it's not that, that women make up a huge segment of the, the hunting community as a whole. I mean, even outside of waterfowl. Um, but I think it's important, especially at a point in time where, um, you know, our kids are, are, are influenced, um, by a lot of outside factors. Um, I'm grateful that my wife's a hunter and that our girls see her hunting. And I think that has more of an impact on them than their dad hunting and keeping kids and keeping women and families hunting together is, is pretty important. So, um, you know, our big game and whitetail lines already had a men's women's and youth, uh, product lines for those pursuits. And, and now waterfowl, has that last missing piece. Um, so we have men's, women's, and uh, kids waterfowl gear as well, which which is pretty awesome. Um, it's yeah, important. that is awesome. So, so we've got that 12-piece women's line that just came out. And then we also have updates to the Dakota hoodie. It's been one of our, our staple items. It's a great insulation piece. Um, it. It, it, you see, yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> well, the cool thing with this new one is that it's it's got more of a stretch fabric to it. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's got a little bit better fit in my opinion. And, uh, I think people are really, really going to enjoy that piece. Um, there's a couple other little features, just being able to cinch the, the, the hem line around the waist, cinch that down to your comfort level, makes it a little bit easier to, to layer with and, 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 um, you know, really just kind of customize it to, to what you needed to do. But that, that, that Dakota hoodie is, is, um, year in and year out one of our best pieces. So to have, an update on it is, is fantastic. Um, the Delta Deke glove is also updated. <clears throat> and then the full choke pack was updated. Um, it's totally, looks totally different. Uh, I've been using it for the last season and a half or so. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's kind of my, it's my go-to uh, blind bag uh, for any of my field hunts for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and then we have a new product called the Delta Waiting Vest. It's definitely different. It's kind of old world meets new world. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys, I think back in the day, especially in the South, uh, used to wear those, those higher cut waiting vests. And it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a way to keep your shells up out of the water. And um, this kind of does that. It's got a little bit different type system to it, but it's another option for people that don't want to take a bag. If you want to go light and minimal, um, you can essentially get all your gear in this vest 
and you can go and run and gun at your pace and and hunt how you want to hunt without having to tote around a bunch of stuff with you. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're on some of these WMAs or, or right. refuges that where you have to walk in a certain one, which we have a spot. Exactly. Dude, I got, I got a spot that's just jam up, but it's a, it's a mile point you gotta, seven walk in. You got to earn it. <laughs> Dude, that's right. And when you got decoys and, and everything else, like you start figuring out, do I really need to bring this with me? Um, and if I can get one more thing, you know, out of my bag or get rid of the bag completely and just get it in pockets, man, that's what I'm doing. And no so no this doubt. product allows for you to do that. Yeah. Now you said two things that I want you to maybe go just a little bit deeper on and that system sure. and layering. Definitely. I feel like what a lot of guys don't understand about Sitka gear is that it is a system of products that are designed to work together. And I think a lot of guys don't understand how to layer Exactly. Gear. So if you could talk about, like, put some product names with how okay. they are designed to be used, I think a lot of people would be really happy to finally learn how to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's all about moisture management. And um, and you still have to manage moisture in a variety of temperatures. It can be 100 degrees, hunting teal down in the south in September or even when it's really cold, but you're setting out decoys and you're starting to sweat and then you sit and get still. Now all of a sudden the reason you're getting cold is because your moisture from your skin isn't able to escape out of the layers that you've put on. Mm -hmm. That's why it, where it's even more critical. And so it's moisture management. Now with that, we, we layer in this way and I'll break it down as you requested. Um, we have our next to skin layers and then we have your insulation layers and then we have um, outerwear. Now those, those next to skin pieces are, uh, what we call the, the core, um, lightweight, midweight and heavyweight tops and bottoms. And depending on the temperature, like some guys run hot. I'm kind of a big guy. I run hot even up here in Montana in the winter. Um, you know, some of the guys I hunt with, they're putting on like every piece of clothing they got. Mm. And, and I'm half, like dressed half down to what they're wearing. And yeah. so it's like that I mile just, and a half walk I was just telling you about, you, dude, I've done it in those base layers. Exactly. In 20 degree weather. Sweating. And, and exactly. And so you, so I wear the core lightweight a ton. I don't need that extra insulation that the midweight provides or the heavyweight. Um, but, but those pieces are designed to move moisture and wick moisture quickly. And it takes that moisture from the, from your skin to the outside part of, of the fabric. Um, the insulation pieces, we use different blends of Primaloft synthetic insulation. We do have some Merino insulation pieces and those all essentially do the same thing, but they help manage the, the, the warmth and keeping you warm. Some of it is more, um, designed around active, um, participation. Uh, so setting out decoys for, for, or, or long hikes in for, for guys, waterfowl hunting. And then on our big game side, I mean, if you're up in the mountains and, and doing some spot and stock, you're definitely moving a tongue and, and you got different, you know, varying weather systems moving in and out. And, and so being able to manage those different scenarios is how these fabrics have been designed. And so once you figure out what your base layer is going to be based on the temperature, and then you bring in your insulation package, um, that's how you're going to regulate heat and moisture up to that point. Now for waterfowl hunters and where the big game changer is for us is Gore-Tex. And the best analogy that I've heard from one of our sales reps that I like to share um, is that if, imagine you have a chain link fence and on one side 
you're holding a basketball and you throw that basketball up against the chain link fence. It's not going to go through. So that's like the outer portion of, of our Gore-Tex products. But on the inside, it's like you're holding a ping pong ball and you can throw that ping pong ball through that exact same chain link, link fence. And so moisture is designed to, to come out of all those different layers, even the Gore-Tex layer, and move outside of it for breathability. That way you're not um, trapping moisture and sweat inside of all these different layers you have on. But rain cannot get in. It is 100% waterproof. And so that's how that technology with Gore-Tex works. Um, and when layered appropriately for, for where you hunt, it can keep you in the field longer and more comfortable, which I'm sorry, at the end of the day, everybody wants. I've, I've spent plenty of times absolutely miserable or having to cut my hunt short when I was younger. And guess what? I'm not trying to be a hard case. I don't, I mean, I, if I have to sit out there and try and struggle through it, I will, but I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I want to be successful and I can be more successful if I am more comfortable and can be out in the field longer because I've got good quality gear. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's typically if you're a duck hunter or a goose hunter, that's when the hunting's the best anyway. Right. right? Absolutely. I mean, the nastier yeah. the weather, that's when you want to be out there. That's right. That's right. Mm. So there you Hopefully go. I answered your question, you know, in the way you're looking for If I need to no, um, no, go deeper on any of that, I'm more than happy to. No, like I'm, I'm trying to explain to guys like when to wear the Delta and when to wear the mm -hmm. duck. Like when I'm in the timber, dude, the, the, the Delta is that's, that's sure. my, that, that's it. That's, you that's know. probably one of our more versatile jackets. So the Delta weighting oh, jacket, sure. it doesn't have any insulation. Um, right. and, and so it's a more versatile jacket because you can be worn as a shell in warmer temperatures, 70, 80 degrees if it's raining. But a lot of times I'll wear the duck oven. So the duck oven jacket is that insulation piece, the primal off insulation. Um, and it's the way the insulation is mapped or, or constructed throughout that jacket. It layers more easily under waders than our other insulation jackets. So that duck oven jacket is specifically designed to wear underneath your waders. And then if it starts raining and you need more protection, you just throw over the Delta waiting jacket on. Or bibs if you're in a field. Or bibs in the field. That's right. And so um, now for guys that run cold and need that extra warmth and they know they're going to get cold, man, I, I say go with the Hudson jacket. It's got, oh, yeah. it's, it's a Gore-Tex jacket that's got more um, primal off insulation mapped throughout the, the jacket itself. And you can still stack insulation on underneath of that, like the duck oven or, or the gradient or, or whatever your favorite piece is. Yeah, and the duck oven is appropriately named, by the way. Yes, it is. It's one of my favorites, man. The thing's <laughs> oh awesome. my gosh, man! We were Great hunting. In, we were hunting in Kansas uh, two years ago, and mm -hmm. the thing, man, just the thing about being outside of Wichita, there is it. It was, I don't know, sixteen, seventeen degrees, and there is nothing but the geese were just doing it, dude. I mean, dirty. Yeah, <laughs> and um, there is nothing to break the wind between you and Canada, except three strands of barbed wire. And, and that duck oven was just like, I didn't feel it. I, I just, I did not feel it at all. What you said, gave me a thought. Cause I mean, a lot of time, I, the, I think the most common question I still get to this day is, man, is it really worth it? And, and part of me is like, well, I'm not going to say it's not worth it, but, but yeah, it's really, it's really worth it. I mean, there was a time not too long ago where I was the same guy that's listening right now 
that was like, man, the sickest stuff is a fad. Um, it can't like, why on earth would anybody spend that much money for a jacket? There's no way it's worth it. Um, you know, I've heard all the, the shitka jokes and, and was, I was that guy too. Um, and I left another competitor brand managing their marketing department and left and went to Sitka and man, I'm telling you right now, there, there is not a better waterfowl apparel brand out there. That's, that's giving the attention to detail and focus on creating the best product for waterfowl hunters. It's far none the best there is out there. And so, um, I challenge anybody like if you're questioning it, totally get it. I've been that guy too, but try it. You're doing yourself a disservice if you're not, if you're, if you haven't tried it and if you still don't like it, cool, no worries. At least, you know, Mm -hmm. now. So here's, here's the Testament. Right. So one of our field pastors name is Matt Robertson and he lives in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. He's a state trooper, which means he has his bullshit detector on 24 seven. Right. <laughs> I mean, he's a cop. Right. right. And he wasn't a believer until we outfitted him. And yeah. he, cause so one of his ministries, he, I mean, he's, he's a speckle belly goose's worst nightmare. <laughs> and he just has them dialed in, bro. I mean, That's like awesome. no one I've ever seen. And so now when guys come to hunt with him, he's, you know, what should we bring? What do we need? He said, you need two things. You need a good attitude and Sitka gear. I'm just telling you right now. Yeah. Th- that's what you need. <laughs> I love and it. And if I, if I can get him to be a believer, then right. it's true. That's period. right. Ab- absolutely. I love it. Period. Um, let me ask you this in the few minutes we got left. So sure. Social media, I think, has <laughs> changed <laughs> for the good and the bad, I think. Um, it's a double-edged sword. It It is. I, I want you, because Sitka just, the, the one of the things that I really just enjoy is um, how you, I get ducks, your, your Instagram handle, and Sitka mm-hmm. uses their social media for positive, because there's... Thank you. There's there's negative and there's positive. And I wanted to get your your thoughts on that. Being in marketing and seeing just content come through and what what are some of the things that you see as negative yeah. and positives? Um whew, man, this one is uh I'll try and stay on track here because I feel like I could go in a lot of different directions. <laughs> um it's a hot topic right now. Um, you know, I think that it all boils down to to several things. Um I'm gonna give you a little bit of context before I, I, I jump into to maybe answering your question directly. So, so bear with me. Um, I think it's interesting to take a look back as to, well, well how did we even get to this point and, and, and understanding why it is the way it is? So, you know, 10 years ago, social media wasn't much of a thing, barely started. And so the way companies would, would market their products was linear programs. So TV, that's television, TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, print advertisement through magazines. Um, and then you would have what I would consider today, what we call mega influencers, your, your hunting celebrities. And usually you were finding that those guys and consuming your entertainment through television or, or print or buying their DVDs or VHS tips or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty simple. It was literally, that was kind of the, your best options. Now, fast forward and we're in a, a time, and this is applicable across any product-based industry. This this affects us all on on a much bigger level than just hunting and marketing within the hunting industry. But 
we are all looking for the, the easiest way possible to consume entertainment, which is why most people have their faces buried in a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just too easy and too attainable to do whatever you want to do on, on that device. And so what that's done is through these different social media platforms and podcasts um, and blogs and, and YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there's a lot more ways in which people can um, obtain what they really want to hear or see or read. Um, and that's kind of taken a lot away from the television side of things mm-hmm. and the print side of things as well, depending on what age demographic you fall into. Um, so I, I like to kind of use that as a, as a basis. And I, I'm going to try not to get too deep. But but now you start looking at it a little bit differently. Well, well, who can become a quote unquote celebrity within these easily attainable um, platforms? And the answer is anybody. It's anybody. anybody. And so what's changed is as before to become an, a, an authority, a respected authority that a brand would want to get behind and support, um, you, you really, it was a different type of earning it. And so those people um, are, were, were and still are incredibly authentic to the, the hunting pursuit in which they were known for. Um, you know, within the waterfowl world, you know, I know I grew up on, uh, you know, learning about guys like Jimbo Ronquest, who has become mm-hmm. a, a close personal friend, which is kind of crazy. Um, Fred Zink, um, you know, John Stevens, um, on and on and on. Jeff Foyles. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know he's gone through his whole thing, but uh, I hope that, you know, he's, he's making a comeback a little bit and on and on and on. But these were some of the big like waterfowl celebrities at the time. And Tony Vandemore still in the mix for sure. And, and um, the way they got to that level um, is different than now because now all you have to do is have some, you know, some, some, some knowledge in what you're doing, but being able to effectively communicate to a massive audience that is easy to get to through social media. And, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden, you know, you have a, a certain amount of influence within that spectrum. And I think we can define influence in a lot of different ways, but, right. but that's, that's changed a lot of things. So keeping all that in mind, now enter the fact that social media grew so quickly, so fast, brands didn't know what to do with it. They're going, oh my gosh, we're, we're not having the engagement that we did in TV and print anymore. And now all these people are in social media and oh my goodness, I have no idea who this person is, but they have a hundred thousand followers. Well, let's just get them a bunch of product because look at all the people that are, are watching them and, mm-hmm. and come to find out a few years down the road, you realize, oh my gosh, like that person just started hunting. They, they're not an authority. They don't know what they're talking about. Or a lot of brands, unfortunately, fell into the trap. And, and I, I got to be careful here, but like there's a lot of beautiful women out there that are very good hunters and there's, oh there's some that aren't. And so that's been a, that's been a trap. And, and my wife yeah. and I have a lot of conversations around that. And um, you know, she's a beautiful woman and, and, and I feel like she's a very accomplished hunter and, and still learning a lot at the same time. But she stays off of it because she doesn't even want to be grouped in with those girls. Yeah. And so it's it's been interesting to see that dynamic. And quite honestly, the all the brands in the industry have not quite found their footing with that. So I set all that up to answer your question because I think that appropriate context is important for people to understand my response. So what Sitka has always done, and I think by and large myself as well, is 
what everybody needs to do is is stay as real and authentic as possible. And and what I tell most people is don't try to be something that you're not. Mm-hmm. Own who you are and enjoy whatever phase you're in as a hunter, whether you're new or a few years into it, or man, you've been around the block so many times, I'm asking you questions and trying to learn from you in the most humble way possible. Just own where you're at and be proud of it and be and be humble about it. Now, I think on the brand side, um, making sure that we're elevating the right people. Like I always ask myself, what I want my daughter to look up to this individual. Oh my gosh, all the time. <laughs> and so that that puts a different lens on it, right? And so if this person is is knowledgeable and and a great moral human being, and they're not, I mean, we all have our faults. None of us are perfect. Um, that's, you know, thank goodness why we have the opportunity um, to repent and, and yeah, live man. the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Absolutely. And so, um, but when we identify those individuals kind of how we used to and then integrate them more into this new platform, and, I, and it still is a new platform as far as I'm concerned, as social media, then we can we can start to, to have that authentic, trusted voice mm. in the community where consumers are like, okay, I'm not being given just the dog and pony show here because that's a pretty face or because this person um, talks a good game. This, this is a good person first that is authentic and knowledgeable and I can trust them. Therefore, yeah. I can trust the brand. That's yeah. what we're trying to, to accomplish. And um, we're trying to do that in the most meaningful ways possible through the best quality product, uh, through the, excuse me, the best quality um, content that matches the best quality product. And, and Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of our equation as a brand and that's continually evolving as the world of technology evolves around us. But um, at the end of the day, it's like I said, don't, don't try to be something that you're not be real, be authentic um, in, you know, let it let it grow or, organically and and that's i yeah. think what i attribute a lot of our success to you know man because there's enough from a negative perspective there's enough negative perceptions of hunting and hunters mm-hmm. and the hunting industry without mm-hmm. us adding fuel to that fire yeah. there's enough outside opposition without Absolutely. us infighting Um, you know, you see it like I'll, I'll see guys post what they consider a trophy, which may not be the biggest deer they've ever shot Mm -hmm. or the, you know, somebody shoots a band and, and and I guess my thing is don't, and they get discouraged because, Mm -hmm. you know, they see all these guys posting bands after bands of the, you know, the big bucks (laughs) all the time. Don't let somebody else define your trophy. That's right. right. Um, I think what makes. A, a great page is great pages focus more on the experience and the emotion mm-hmm. than they do look how heavy our strap is exactly and great pages i think help connect teach and build relationships i agree and i, I think if we if we were just honest with each other that the more in in you, I'm sure, in your travels would agree. The more people we meet, 
I think the more we understand that there's so much more that unites us than divides us. Sure. Yep. And one of the things I wanted to finish on is you, you're, you're very, you know, your, your faith is, is obvious. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get just kind of your background on what did that journey, you know, passion and pursuit being a revelation outdoors production based on a waterfowl ministry of right. me standing next to a tree, December 11th of 2010 going, okay, God, I get it now. Sure. And, yeah. and I'm ready to turn my life over to you. Yeah. Um, what did that journey look like for you? Yeah. Mine, uh, mine, I mean, as we all do, I consider, uh, incredibly special. Um, I always have a hard time getting through this without getting a little emotional. So bear with me. But, uh, when I was a teenager, like most teenagers, we all find our varying degrees of getting in trouble. Right. And so, I wasn't a bad kid. I was making some stupid choices like most of us do. And at the time, um, I was, I was really into competitive baseball, doing a lot of, um, travel tournaments, different, uh, different places each, each weekend. So there wasn't a whole lot of time for church. And I, I grew up, um, kind of in a more of a Methodist, um, household. And, yeah. and when we did attend church, um, it was a Methodist church. Mm -hmm. Um, but, there was a girl that caught my eye, um, in middle school and, uh, she happened to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I would get made fun of relentlessly about, man, your girlfriend's Mormon and this and that. And, and I didn't think anything. I was like, oh, I'm never going to be Mormon. You know, not for me. I don't believe that they're, they're weird, you know, all this stuff. Right. Well, fast forward a few years and, um, I, I got pretty serious with this girl and, and I didn't know it at the time. But, um, oh, I, I didn't know I, I, I had fallen in love with her and that's kind of weird to say, um, because you, you think about, well, a 16 year old, 17 year old didn't even know what love is. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah, it happened. Um, so yeah, we, we, we had fallen in love and, and, um, I remember, um, I had kind of gotten to a point to where I had gotten on better terms with her dad and he knew that I wasn't wasn't necessarily a bad kid, but I was hanging out with a lot of bad kids and, you know, not necessarily mm -hmm. the type of crowd I would ever want my daughters to hang out with. Um, just because I, <laughs> I want the best for my kids. I don't want them to have those temptations. Right. Yeah. And he was, and I he think was, we can scenario. all look back and say, that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, as a father, you don't want your kids in that, especially your daughters in that situation. And so anyways, um, he knew that. And, um, I remember I had gone with their family to a fireside, which is kind of like a devotional, like a Wednesday night um, uh, type church service. And on the way back, um, he was asking us kind of what we had learned. And I was like, man, I don't know. I Nothing. I, didn't, I mean, I, it was cool. You know, I mm -hmm. didn't, it's typical, you know, ridiculous teenager response. And, and my wife had a little bit more of a profound um, answer to that question. And, and he said, Ryan, you know, I know you're in love with my daughter. Um, but I'd really appreciate it if you would understand more of why she feels the way she does. Would you be interested in coming to our home and, and talking with the missionaries and just understanding more about our church and, and, and why, you know, we live the, our lives the way we do. And in that moment, I, I'd really grown to respect him. So I, I said, uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll do that. But in my mind, I was like, okay, it's time to break up with this girl. I'm not doing this, you know? Yeah don't want any part of it. And so, um, it, th that's, 
that that was what I wanted. That's what I thought was going to happen, which was going to be a very hard decision. That and I had made up my mind. That's that's what was going to go down. And but I wanted to at least be respectful enough to him um, and to her to to go and 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 at least meet these guys and whatever. And so mm-hmm. um, I went in kind of in a defensive mode on because I I was I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and and I left that first meeting with the missionaries. Um, not, uh, not really, not really expecting what they had to share with me. I, it wasn't weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, it's exactly what I needed to hear at that moment in my life. Mm-hmm. And they were able to answer some questions with me that I had struggled with as a teenager in regards to religion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that started to soften my heart. And so long story short, um, eventually after a few months of meeting with them and learning and, and reading in the scriptures from the Bible. And, and as most people know, um, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints has another, um, another book called the book of Mormon, which is not to replace the Bible, but to support it as another Testament of Jesus Christ. And that was kind of weird for me at first. I was like, man, I don't know that we've got the Bible. We don't need anything else. Mm. But as I learned more, it, it didn't seem so so strange to me it actually made a whole heck of a lot of sense um but you can't be convinced of anything right the only way you can truly know or have a or build a testimony about christ something as simple as was christ our savior is he our savior Mm -hmm. is is prayer and so i learned all these things and and i got to a point where I, i i had to know and the only way I could is through prayer. And so I went home one evening and knelt down and, and I prayed to know um, if the Book of Mormon was another testament of Jesus Christ and, and if, there were a, if there was a living prophet today. And, and, um, and I was willing to change in my life whatever I needed to change in order to get that answer. And I remember in that moment kind of sitting back and just going, I, I, the, you hear about the still small voice, you read about that. Yeah, yeah in the Bible. And, and I had that experience, that confirmation through the power of the Holy ghost that for me, yeah, that, that I knew, I knew it was true. I couldn't deny it to the point to where I knew I was going to go and serve a mission. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be able to give that opportunity to other people that were in need. And so I, um, I joined the church. Um, and about a year later, um, I, I went on a mission to Ecuador and I lived there for two years. And uh, had that opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ every day, and uh, it was really hard to come home, yeah, um, because it was uh, such a powerful experience. To as a nineteen-year-old, you yeah. don't know anything. You think you know something, but you don't know anything. Oh, yeah. and to, to be in a third-world country, yeah, and to see life like that, and then to to be that person, yeah, that that gives them happiness and hope through the, the message of Jesus Christ changes your life and your, yeah, your perspective on life. Yeah. And so that opportunity of kneeling down and just praying to know, and then, and then to go and live it for two years is really, um, I mean, I think conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that we, it, it takes a lifetime, you know, that that's the point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Christ atoned for our sins so that we have the opportunity to repent and grow closer to God through that trial of faith. And, yeah. and that's a lifelong experience here on earth. It's not, you know, 
hey, I'm good. I checked that yeah, box. One and done. I'm good. Life however I want. It's right. not how it works. No, it's, no that, it's a, that's why, it's that's why Paul talks about the thing. sanctification process through that's, the whole that's it. thing. That's it. That's yeah, it. I mean, and, you know, and it was, and to this day, I mean, I, I had the opportunity to give a talk on church this past Sunday. Um, you know, you know, Heavenly Father teaches us line upon line, precept upon precept. And, and that was the topic of the talk that I gave at church. And, uh, you know, that's, that's this continual way that our, our Heavenly Father teaches us throughout our lives based on mm-hmm. our understanding and, and our receptiveness to being taught by, yeah. by the spirit of the Lord. And so, yeah, it's uh that's, that was my experience and uh, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit longer winded um, no, answer than great. you were looking for, but, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Your, your story was very similar to mine, except um So it took me 40 years and I grew <laughs> up in the Methodist church as well. Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, so my wife and I were married and it was, uh, you know, 20 something years we were married and she was saved before I was, but still relatively Mm -hmm. young in Mm -hmm. her faith. And, um, you know, man, your world changes so much (laughs) when you have children. Oh yeah. Big time. (laughs) Um, And, and so, you know, we had, I've got three daughters, um, all three of them are killers, dude, by the way. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, but she would, um, she would be reading Awana verses to the kids. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, part of my family was Catholic. Cause you know, in Louisiana, the Roman Catholic church is just mm-hmm. you know, it's huge, huge. And so part of my family was Catholic. The other part was Methodist. And I just always gone through this thing, like who's, who's right. I mean, you guys say this, you guys say that. I mean, uh, who's, who's, who's right. And really religion just turned me completely off. Sure. Like 100%. Not only did it mm-hmm. turn me off, it turned me the other way Yeah. to where, you know, 12, 13 years ago, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and so she would be reading the Awana verses to the kids, um, and she'd ask me to go to Bible study with her, and I would not only mm-hmm. tell her no, like I'd make fun of her. <laughs> like, like yeah. and, you know, don't get yeah. bit by a snake going to church and, you know, sure. all this other stuff. And sure. when she'd read the Awana verses to the kids, I'd go behind her back and tell the kids that your mom's lying to you, and that's all just a bunch of made-up crap. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was the persecutor in chief of my family, yeah. and uh, I'll never forget, man. She um, she would invite me to go to Bible study. I'd say no, and then one time I went just to let the pastor into the building that uh, they were using. I said, "Well, I guess I'll stick around and hear what this guy has to say." Mm-hmm. And for the first time, I heard a message about relationship, not religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, wow, I. So you mean I don't have to keep working for this thing, um, and I'm not, I'm not. It's not about a good person or a bad person. It's about this other just relationship that I'd never really heard anything about. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it happened around duck season of uh, of 2010, and I, you know, I finally, I finally started going to uh, to Bible study with her and learning mm-hmm. what the book what my creator was trying to tell me. Right. Right. And, um, do the one thing that 
hit me was, and especially when you have kids was, you know, you'd hear about the cross, like we were CEOs. I went to church on Christmas and Easter only. So we were CEOs, yeah. right? And, um, yeah. you know, you hear about the cross, say, so yeah, Jesus died on the cross. And then, but when you have kids and you consider what God, the father did mm-hmm. to God, the son on the cross, mm-hmm. um, like I, I look at the cross and say, could I, I would gladly sacrifice myself for one of my kids. No doubt about it. Um, would I sacrifice one of my kids to save the world? No, yeah. would never even right. cross my mind. Right. Would I sacrifice one of my kids to save a drug addict or, you know, a pedophile or just as bad a sinner like myself? No, mm-hmm. yeah. but that's exactly what God did. That's right. Like it, it, it did. And, and then the, and then, so the very next thought is, and I, I, you know, I, you talk about praying to know mm-hmm. I did the same thing. I, I prayed to know what is it, what, what actually took place there. And so <laughs> the very next thought that I have is the thought of one of my daughters on a cross. Yeah. You know, paying the sins of the world, a world that just hates her and they're mm-hmm. spitting on her and they want her dead. And her yeah. last thought is, Dad, why have you abandoned me? Yeah. And I'm like, Phew. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we were duck hunting and I'm standing by a tree and I just asked, I, I asked Christ to be my savior. Just that simple. And so that's when I, we had our, I had my revelation outdoors and that's where the ministry started. And then that's Brian and I met and we said, you know, how can we tell these stories? You know, I can tell you all about Romans Mm -hmm. 120 in in church and say that we can know God by the things that he's made. But it's, if I change the context, Mm -hmm. right. And I tell you why we're sitting in a duck blind, watching the sun come up, watching mallards do their thing. It's a different context. I've changed the context and I've changed the way guys receive that message. And that's when we started passion and pursuit. No, that's, that, that's awesome. I, and I, I think it's interesting the the way you said that, because a lot of times, like I know for me and other people I've talked to, when you first start going back to church, it's, um, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable because you don't feel like you're, because it's somewhere you haven't been. And, and a lot of times because yeah. it's like, gosh, like I know I've done some things that I'm not proud of. Should I even be here? Like you have those thoughts. Oh, and that's, totally, dude. And and that's the adversary wanting you to think that. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, that's exactly where you need to be. But a lot of times it's easier to receive that message in your comfort zone. And for, I'm assuming everybody listening to this, this podcast, that's in a duck blind. And so to be able yeah. to have these types of conversations um, about religion and about our savior and, and how that can bring more happiness into your life through, through the gospel and, and ministry of, of Jesus Christ, then, mm-hmm. then yeah, if, if that's the vehicle or, or the place that, that, that gets you back into church, wherever, yeah. whatever church that may be. Um, I, I think that's pretty awesome what you guys are doing and, yeah. and I thank you for doing it. Um, oh yeah, man. We love doing it. As long as he puts awesome. air in my lungs, I'm going to do it. That's great. I love it. What, um, did we forget anything or skip anything you wanted to talk about? Gosh, I, I feel like we covered a lot of good stuff. <laughs> we, we definitely um, put some miles on it. Yeah, no, we, uh, we, we talked about 
um, hunting here, there, and everywhere around the world, and sick of gear, and yeah. and more importantly, um, had uh, some some good uh, gospel sharing opportunities. So yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel rejuvenated. I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to, to come on and, and and be able to chat with you. It's been great. Well. I appreciate it. We had a heck of a time getting everything lined up, but I knew. Uh, I, I <laughs> Sorry knew we, for that. <laughs> no, man. It's look. You're busy. I'm busy. We live on airplanes and in meetings. And That's right. Else, so I'm just. I'm glad we finally uh, we finally got to do it. Ryan Bass from Sick and Gear, dude. Thanks, thank Ryan. We had so to jump much. through some thank you. hoops appreciate to finally thank, get an thanks. hour or so to talk, but I'm so glad we did. We all appreciate you joining us and sharing your love of hunting and some of your experiences hunting in some super cool locations. We love the gear, too, so keep that up. And finally, thank you for sharing your personal testimony with us. I was definitely touched, and I am sure there's someone out there who is right now maybe thinking a little differently about what they believe and why. So, Ryan, again, we really, really appreciate it. God bless you, and uh, we hope to see and talk to you again real soon. We'd like to also thank Edge Duck Boats, Tahatsu Outboards, Retail Shotguns, Apex Ammunition, and of course, Sitka Gear for supporting Passion and Pursuit and Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry. I say it every week, but without the help of these companies, we could not do what we do. So I humbly ask you, our listening audience, to support the companies that support us. We appreciate it. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen. It helps us continue to keep climbing up the rankings. And if you wouldn't mind, please share the show with the hunting buddy we'd appreciate also. That is all the time we have. So until next week, thanks for listening. Bye-bye, y'all.